Hello and welcome to Pod Academy. I'm Lisa Bell. This week I'm taking you on a journey to France, but not on a soft seat of the Eurostar train, but rather on a rough bench of a 19th century boat that used to take curious travellers across the Channel. One man crossed the Channel more than 20 times in these rough conditions and recorded his experience with a journalistic precision, leaving incredible travel records and notes on the French life. His name is Charles Dickens. This bearded genius of English literature who conjures up true Britishness was a passionate Francophile and an avid traveller. But all we know about Dickens' passion for France is the tale of two cities, his timeless bestseller set to the backdrop of the French Revolution. Gilles Santoriello in New York was the first to adapt the novel into a Broadway musical. I called her to ask what was Dickens' view of the French Revolution. I think Dickens had very mixed feelings about the French Revolution. I think he he felt that the situation in France, the political and social and economic situation in France, had made the revolution inevitable, um, but horrifyingly so. I mean, he was very concerned that the same thing might happen uh, in England of his time, because you know he was such a social advocate and 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 cared very much about the way people were treated and and just then as as today you know there were the haves and the have nots and he was really concerned that the english people might you know decide to rise up and uh have their own revolution so i think his 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 view of of the revolution was a healthy uh, a healthy mix of of understanding and fear you know almost like uh, lightning, you know, you need to get in the house and hide from it so you don't get hit, uh, because they were um, something that was unavoidable if they didn't address the social and economic ills that, that were um, prevalent in, in society. Jill, so what is the role of the French Revolution in your musical? To me, it is a more of a, a plot device to tell the main story, which is the story of Sydney and Lucy and Charles Darnay. I mean, the, the musical is much more a, a romance set against the backdrop of the French Revolution. Um, but I try to be faithful to as many of Dickens' themes in, in telling that as I can. You know, I don't, I don't give short shrift to the Revolution, and we definitely spend a lot of time with, you know, Madame Defarge and, and the revolutionaries. But um, the main focus is still Sydney. Tale of Two Cities is probably one of the most known of Dickens' novels related to France, but it actually reveals very little about Dickens' real passion for the French culture. One has to look into Dickens' journalistic work and his letters to discover his deep knowledge and admiration of the lifestyle and society across the Channel. He even signed one of his letters, addressed to his friend John Forster, as a naturalised Frenchman, a citizen of Paris. So it was John Edmondson, driven by his passion for the 19th century literature and France, who conducted a meticulous research on Dickens' relationship with France. He then published a book simply called Dickens on France, that is a collection of Dickens' writings related to France, supported by John's commentary. 
I met John Edmondson and I started by asking him how England and France actually perceived each other during Dickens' times, which was not long after the Battle of Waterloo that added a bitter taste to the Anglo-French relationship. The main thing that happened once the, the, the Waterloo period was over was, was that France opened up again um, significantly for tourists so that there were, it's, in some ways it was a mirror of what it is now. There were a, a group of English people who were uh, fr in favor of France, who liked France, who were, um, and there, were, there was another group who did not, who were insular and rather jingoistic. So that existed at that time much as it does now. But the big change around the middle of the 19th century, and this is when Dickens started to, to, to travel, was the the revolution in transport and tourism and tourism became much more available for many people so that for example at the end of the 18th century the grand tour was really exclusively for the English aristocracy or the very rich middle classes. By the middle of the 19th century, um, the middle classes were going across the channel in droves to to France and further afield. So because of that, there was a, a, a kind of a rapprochement because there was increasing familiarity um, between the, the middle classes of both countries. But France still had this, uh, many attractions that it has to, sorry, then had many attractions that it, that it has today in the sense of it was fashionable, it was, it, Paris was the place to go. Um, there was a kind of romanticization about it. Paris was known as the city of light. I would say on the whole that, that Dickens was not rare in wanting to go to France. What was rare was his particular appreciation of, of, of the place and the way that he used it. Ah, the fresh air is pleasant after the forcing frame, though it does blow over these interminable streets and scatter the smoke of this vast wilderness of chimneys. Here we are. No, I mean, there we were, for it has darted far into the rear, in Bermondsey, where the tanners live. Flash, the distant shipping in the Thames is gone. Were, the little streets of new brick and red tile, with here and there a flagstaff growing like a tall weed out of the scarlet beans, and everywhere plenty of open sewer and ditch for the promotion of the public health have been fired off in a volley. Whiz, dust heaps, market gardens and waste grounds, rattle, new cross station, shock, there we were at Croydon, burr, the tunnel. Based on everything you read, what Dickens wrote about his travel, about his journeys, could you describe the atmosphere of those journeys from London to Paris back at, at the mm. end of the 19th mm. century? Well, I think uh, the, the essay you refer to is called The Flight, um, and that was written uh, just after the introduction of the new journey time of 11 hours, which uh, previously they had done it in 12 um, uh, 12 hours, but this was the, the, the new express time. And you have an impression in that essay of what it was like, because it's it's a high energy impressionistic piece, which which gives the, for Dickens and for, for other travelers at the time, 
um, it was uh, it was very exciting. It was a bit like going on Eurostar now for us, you know, at least uh, for us a few years ago when Eurostar started. And you can sense not only the the process of traveling uh, excites him, but also the fact that when he arrives in Paris, he can he says, you know, I'm in Paris, as if it's difficult to believe that he's in Paris so soon after leaving London. Although by our standards, it's a very long time. But but you have to remember that not very long ago, a coach journey would have taken three days from London to Paris. So the 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 concertinering of of the journey was huge. Our French watering place, when it is once got into, is a very enjoyable place. It has a varied and beautiful countryside around it, and many characteristic and agreeable things within it. To be sure, it might have fewer bad smells and less decaying refuse, and it might be better drained and much cleaner in many parts, and therefore infinitely more healthy. Still, it is a bright, airy, pleasant, cheerful town. And if you were to walk down either of its three well-paved main streets towards five o'clock in the afternoon, when delicate odors of cookery fill the air, and its hotel windows, it is full of hotels, give glimpses of long tables set out for dinner and made to look sumptuous by the aid of napkins folded fan-wise, you would rightly judge it to be an uncommonly good town to eat and drink in. Our French watering place, the title comes from a previous article that he wrote on uh, Broadstairs, which was his um, one of his uh, English uh, holiday destinations. And in the 1850s, Dickens and his family stayed in Boulogne for three summers, um, spent several months there each time. And basically because it became a, a, a favorite place. He reflected that by, because the first essay was called Our Watering Place, so he cha he called Boulogne Our French Watering Place, and people would, his readers would link back and realize what he was saying just simply in the title. I mean, the article itself is a, is a kind of love letter to Boulogne. Um, he goes into detail on what he likes about the town, um, the, the various characters that he meets, his, his landlord. He stayed with the same landlord when he was there. Ferdinand de Beaucourt. Beaucourt Mutuel, yes, that's right, that's right. How come he had this passion, this really unexplainable passion for Boulogne? Because at that time, and even now, it is still known as a very boring, um, grim industrial town. Yes, well, that's uh, Dickens. Dickens just found things in it that he liked, and I think part of his his motivation for pushing it was because he liked to go against the grain. And uh, he, I mean, he says somewhere that uh, if 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 it were three hundred miles further off, people would love it. It's the fact that it was so close, and there were, there were actually quite a lot of English people in Boulogne living there at the time. So uh, the the fashionable tourist would would go further afield, would carry on to uh, to Naples, for example, the old 
big the, the main stops on the old Grand Tour. So to an extent, I think he took pleasure in in encountering that. But there was a genuine uh, affection for it. Uh, he wasn't alone, actually. Thackeray also liked Boulogne. So there were some intelligent people. It was people an from, underground passion for Boulogne. <laughs> it was indeed, yes. It was a minority passion. But he was very pleased uh, that, that he'd found it. Uh, and he, he for him, it was it, it was somewhere that he, he had a great affection for. About Paris, I am charmed with the place and have a much greater respect for the French people than I had before. The general appreciation of and respect for art, its broadest and most universal sense, in Paris is one of the finest national signs I know. They are specially intelligent people and though there still lingers amongst them an odd mixture of refinement and coarseness, I believe them to be, in many high and great respects, the first people in the universe. What he liked about Paris initially, I think the initial impact would be, it would be quite simple things like the gaslight, like people sitting outside in cafes, which was was just not done in London. Um, it was the attitude of people on the streets. He mentions quite frequently the kind of, co the common courtesy that people had. Um, but I think you have to remember when we're talking about Dickens that he was he was somebody who had a, a huge ability to read the city. I mean, he's, he's, he knew London intimately and he had a way of perceiving cities that is really quite rare. Um, and he applied that to Paris pretty much as soon as he got there. He, he wrote to his friend, um, the Count d'Orsay, uh, uh, on his first, just after his first visit in 1844, he said, uh, I cannot tell you what an immense impression Paris made upon me. It is the most extraordinary place in the world. I was not prepared for and really could not have believed it. It's perfectly distinct and separate character. So he did see it as somewhere completely different from, from London. So in a sense, there was a kind of culture shock in there, a positive culture shock for him. But it, as he got to know it very, very well over the years, he went very many times. And I would say that it's probably much more important uh, than Boulogne in that sense. Boulogne was a, was, was a, a place that he, he, he liked um, and developed an affection for. Paris, I think, um, produced a much more profound reaction in him. And uh, it was really in Paris that he started to compare culture, politics, art, to the detriment of Britain. And as he became increasingly dissatisfied with the state of his own nation as, as time went on, he became increasingly more attracted to what was going on in Paris and other parts of France. So that, that changed his, his perception of his own country? Well, it certainly, it, yeah, it, yes, it helped to change it. I think it would have changed anyway, but it, but it, was, it provided an exemplar for him of how things might be. The Englishman can't speak a word of French, but the Frenchman can speak a very little English, with which he helps the Englishman out of the abysses and ravines of difficulty. The Englishman, instead of being obliged by this, condescends, good-humouredly, to correct the Frenchman's pronunciation, patronises him, would pat him on the head if he could reach so high, and screeches at his mistakes.
So, uh, John, why do you think that um, this massive passion that um, Dickens had for France, for French culture and language and for French lifestyle as well, why has it been so um, ignored or so little known in the UK? Well, that's difficult to say. I, I mean, it has been recognized within academic circles for some time. And the, the, the certain people have uh, written about it. But it certainly, until recently, uh, it hasn't been much known. Um, very difficult to say why, except that probably until the last, what should we say, maybe the last 20 years, the, the huge emphasis was on critical commentaries on his novels. Um, and it's only recently that his journalism uh, has come more to the fore, particularly with the marvellous uh, four-volume edition of his journalism edited by Michael Slater. Uh, I think because of that, uh, it's brought other aspects of his interests and his life uh, in, into prominence. But you're right, I mean, outside A Tale of Two Cities, um, very little attention was paid to his um, his attitudes to France until re comparatively recently. Can we say, uh, can we can we actually confirm that um, Dickens was the first British Francophile that we know in history? I don't know if I could if I could make such a brave confirmation as that. I'm not sure, but it's certainly of his time. He's certainly well. He's certainly the first to to be a francophile in that way yes i think to express that kind of depth of francophilia he's the first there were there were many writers who liked france who visited france um but i think in some ways yes i i'll i'll say a tentative yes to that john edmondson thank you very much for this interview thank you very much